Okay, the next study next week will be our last. Uh, we will focus on the Lord's return to this earth, uh, one event that changes everything forever. Uh, it is a glorious day for those who know the Lord as their Savior. It's a glorious day for all of heaven. Uh, it's a very sad day for those who have become so hardened in their sin that they want a world without God. Uh, bottom line is, this is God's world. He's not going anywhere. And there are groups that want to push him away, push him out. Uh, sometimes we hear about it around Christmas, or you can't sing that Christmas hymn, or you can't have prayer at graduation or a concert or things. He's still here. And someday that will all be away. It won't happen ever, ever again. Um, but today we want to go to Revelation chapter 16. These are the last judgments that God brings upon the earth to punish the earth for its wickedness from the very beginning. Men have ruined this world. They've ruined life in this world. God has been very patient, but God has not forgotten what men in their sin have done. This is not at all the life that God ever intended for the world to have. When Jesus comes back, it will be so sweet. And those who are on the earth, oh, it's going to be more glorious than they can even imagine. And the Bible tells us about that and how life will wonderfully change. But that's because sin is removed. And when Jesus died, it was not only that we could have salvation, but that the world itself could be restored to God. And God has a plan for that. These are, again, staggering. We'll go through them quickly. Uh, you will see, again, the severity of God's judgment. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Hebrews tells us that. And these judgments now happen one right after the other. They are the last trumpet that sounds. All of the vials come right out of that, and it's one right after the other. Uh, we talked about the timing of a seven-year period. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, we have to think about where we're going to put these things. Uh, they all don't happen during the course of a week. And these will not happen in the course of a week either, as you'll see when we read through here. But they will be in rapid succession. This will be the end. Heaven knows it. That's why in this chapter you will see it's over. That's what heaven says. And all of heaven is getting ready to reclaim this world for God. It's, it's both bad and good, depending on your relationship with God. So let me have prayer, and then we'll go into this uh, as the last of God's judgments are given to this world. Father, again, we thank you that when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, that he experienced in his own body the judgment of God for us so that we could be free. God the Father hath laid upon his Son the iniquity of us all. And Father, we are so thankful that the cross was the place where the wrath of God was settled for all who would come to Christ for salvation and find forgiveness and freedom, love with God forever. Father, we are looking in this chapter, and it's hard for us to even envision this, 
unless we remember the shape the world is in. This is a wicked place, more so than we could even imagine. And that the, right, the God of righteousness is in righteousness dealing with a world that's out of control. And yet, Father, trying to do everything he can, you can, to help people to get saved. Help us as we look at this chapter, as the wrath of God is poured out upon the world, a wrath that's deserved. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. In chapter 16, verse 1, we have the first vial. The word vial, some of your Bibles, has bowl. It is a container, and they're literally pouring out God's wrath upon the world. It's in picture form. It's not diluted. It's full strength. And here's what God is doing now. His last acts before this world is controlled by God and taken back for his honor and glory. Chapter 16, verse 1. I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways, pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first angel went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore. There is an unusual phraseology. It refers to a sore, an ulcer that is bad and malignant. The word noisome does not refer to sounds. It's bad and malignant. Very bad. Pour out, there fell upon uh, the earth, this grievous sore upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those that had worshipped the image. Notice that God has marked out for judgment those who have worshipped the beast or this image. Those who were so totally committed to remove God, to kill believers, and to give themselves to this man who was giving them everything they wanted. They liked the Antichrist. They wanted him to be their ruler because he was just like them, very vile and very wicked. We saw what he did to the Jewish people. We've seen what he's done to uh, believers around the world. We saw what he did to the two witnesses. In the world, we've seen it before, they love this man, they worship him, they idolize him. In this judgment, every person who has turned to the beast and to his image has been marked out for this awful sore. And that's the first thing we see here. Uh, and I want you to notice that before, last week, we noticed that some of the judgments were one-third of the grass, one-third of the trees, one-third of the stars, the sun, the moon, and uh, springs and lakes and things of that nature. There's no minimalizing this. Everyone is included. Every person that has turned away from God, rejected him, and then persecuted those who love God, they have been marked for this judgment. Let's notice the vial number two and number three. Verse three, and the second angel poured out his vial, this pure wrath of God upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Before one-third of the sea had been contaminated, 
now all of it is gone. It's useless. Verse 4, And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of the rivers. They became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, You are righteous, O Lord, who art and was and shall be, because you have done this. Heaven is saying it was the right thing to do. Notice why. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They are worthy. They deserve this. Heaven knows how bad men have become. And in verse 7, And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. It's a way of angels saying, Amen. Heaven understands what's happening on earth. We are told in 2 Thessalonians that before the Antichrist is revealed, in this second, uh, this last week begins, this seven-year period begins, that the church is raptured. It has to be raptured. At that point, the Holy Spirit's ministry of restraining sin will be removed. So that when the Antichrist comes on the world scene, he begins to develop his, his position and his standing, the world is becoming more and more out of control, more and more headlong into its sin. We think things are bad now when the Holy Spirit no longer restrains men. He just lets them go. Uh, it's hard for us to envision just the depths of the sin, <clears throat> the behaviors that they will get into. We're reading about it in the book of Revelation, but we have nothing to uh, compare it to. Uh, we've just never seen people like that before. But that's going to happen. And at this particular point, heaven is saying, yeah, they have deserved it. Let's notice the next, next one in verses 8 and 9. And the fourth angel poured out his vial, again, pure wrath, not mixed with anything, pure wrath, upon the sun. And power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues. They repented not to give him glory. It appears that the sun is going to have what we call today uh, solar flares. These extensions of the gas of the sun erupting that, that interferes with uh, our climate and makes things incredibly hot. Well, this is going to be worse than hot. Probably most of us have had a sore sunburn one day or another, going to a beach, playing outside, playing ball, working, whatever it might be. Uh, but this is worse. Men are scorched by the sun. They are burned by the sun. And the sad thing is that even now, even though God is willing to care for them if they will come, when things get very difficult, did you notice what, it was, what was said there? that in verses uh, 8 and 9, the last part of verse 9, they repented not 
to give him glory. They refuse to honor God's rightful place as God. They refuse to be softened by these hardships. Hardships usually have a way of bringing us to our knees. Not these people. They just refuse. Like Noah's day, I can't do anything with them, God said. Uh, to Abraham, God said they would pass the point of no return. Uh, they would forfeit the, the, the right to live. They refuse to give God glory. And in verse 10, the next vial, God singles out the Antichrist, the beast, the one who has been so responsible for so much destruction, and his entire coalition. Notice in verse 10 and 11. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat, or the government of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. It is so grievous, so anguished filled that all they can do is groan and cry out and literally chew their tongues because of the pain. And in verse 11, and blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And again, God singles them out, the leaders of this rebellion against God, the leaders of this madness on the earth. The Antichrist is singled out for judgment. His colleagues, the people that were in this government alliance with him, they're singled out, and rightly so. We're just about done. Notice, if you would please, in verse 12 and following, I have in the screen God's form, judgment is in the form of deception. Verses 12 and following. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, and the way of the, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, chapter 12, we're, talked about, we're told about that, out of the beast and out of the mass of the false prophet. They are the spirits of demons working miracles, miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth. We've had the kings of the east, now the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches, keeps his garment, lest he was naked, and that they should be, uh, they sh should see shame. And he gathered them together into the place in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Now you have, you have reference to the nations of the east, the kings of the east in verse 12, and the kings of the earth in verse 14. Here's what's happening. It has to deal with the area of the last battle of Armageddon. And you've heard that phrase before, I'm sure. The kings of the east refer to uh, the Orient. In the Bible, they're always referred to as the Orient, the east, which would be Japan, China, India, Indonesia, that portion of the world. They are now making their way over to Jerusalem. Zechariah 14 talks about this. 
12 through 14 talks a lot about this. Here comes this massive movement of armies. What's happening is that the government, this coalition of governments for the Antichrist has fallen apart. And nations now are making their way to the Middle East to take control of whatever they can get. Some people feel it's going to be the motivation for oil that's in the Middle East or some of their natural resources. But all the nations of the earth are coming and the focus is upon Israel. That's where they're going to be at in the Valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. And the Antichrist no longer has control of the earth. His government is now defunct. And but as these nations gather, and Israel is the focus point of all of this, as they gather, they're going to be fighting with one another to gain control. Whoever comes out the winner is the one who's going to be taking care of things. They're, that's all they're thinking about. They're part of controlling the world. And as these people gather in Armageddon, it is at that moment that the heavens opened and people see Jesus coming back to this world to establish the kingdom of God. They are so deceived, they are so demented that instead of fighting each other, they will now turn thinking that they can defeat the Savior who's coming from heaven and all the angels are coming with him. And they're foolish enough, that's where they put their targets and in one moment, one thought, they are all gone. They are completely obliterated. And the Lord comes back to earth. There is not a fight. There is not even a thought of fight because the Savior takes care of things completely and entirely. And when Jesus comes to this earth, there are a lot of things that are going to happen. But I want you to see something very special. The world has been judged for its sin. The world has applauded. They're glad. I want you to turn back to the book of Zechariah. I, I want you to see this. Go back to Matthew and then go back two books, Malachi and Zechariah. Turn to Zechariah chapter 12 because it talks about this time. And I want you to see this. What we haven't shown you is how God has been caring for the nation of Israel in their waywardness, in their lack of faith, uh, not understanding uh, what Jesus has done for them. God has been caring for them, bringing them to the place when Jesus appears and comes back to Jerusalem. He comes to the Mount of Olives. Some of you are familiar with that. And everything changes. Every Jewish person that has survived this awful ordeal, that has gone through it, gone through thinking they had one Savior and then finding out that he wasn't, going through the bloodbath, going through all these difficulties, every Jewish person that sees Jesus coming from heaven, having heard the 144,000, having heard the two witnesses and seen what was done to them, having heard the testimony of all those who have turned to Christ, 
finally get it and every Jewish person will turn to the Savior and believe in him. Every one. Paul talks about that in Revelation chapter 9 through 11 and he uses this phrase, there's coming a day when all Israel will be saved. When Jesus comes back and they see him, they will know this is the Messiah and they turn to him. I want you to see how moving this is for them. And again, as God has been dealing with the world that doesn't want him, he's been working in love with his people, Israel, with anyone that he could reach. And what we see here, I think, will be a real blessing to you. Notice in chapter 12, beginning with verse 10. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. If you remember, the Apostle John starts chapter 1 that way. Jesus is coming again, and everyone will see the one that they have pierced, referring to this passage. They will look upon me whom they have pierced, and now notice this, they will mourn for him. They will be devastated. They will be crushed. They will reach out to him in faith, but they will be crushed because in their minds, all of those centuries, they rejected the Savior. They told the Jewish people not to believe in Jesus of Nazareth. And all of this, that they themselves were guilty of rejecting the Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, was the Messiah. And they didn't believe it. And it crushes them. They believe in him, but they see their sin. And it says they mourn for him. Notice the key word mourn in the rest of the chapter. Just notice how many times this is used. And as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. They are crushed. And notice, this is not just a moment where they're sad for a moment and they get over it and that's okay. It's kind of like parents, you know, sometimes we indulge our kids. They have a hard time and we run in too quick. It's okay, don't worry about it anymore. No, no, none of that. This is a deep, deep, mourning, a deep understanding of what they've done. And their sorrow is something that they just focus on because it's just heartbreaking for them to realize what they've done. Notice what it says in verse 11. In that day, there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem. There's that word again, great mourning. And in the morning of Hadadramon in the valley of Megadon, more mourning there. And the land itself will mourn. That is all over the land. Every Jewish person everywhere. Every, notice what it says, every family apart. Every family will get apart to focus on how they have failed their God and failed their Savior. Every, this is not a church service. Uh, this is not a gathering. Uh, this is every family taking to heart how they have failed their God and how they have 
failed the Savior. Every family, the land will mourn. Every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, their wives apart, the family of Shemai apart, their wives apart, and all the families that remain, every family apart, their wives apart. Every family gets by itself and then every family member goes to their own room and they spend time there pleading with God to forgive them. They believe that Jesus is the Savior. They have accepted him. But as they look back on those three and a half years, and even before that, their unbelief, they just can't believe what they've done. And they are broken for their sin. I think it's good to say <clears throat> that God is not pleased when a person's confession of sin is not meaningful. If it doesn't have any life-changing values, if it doesn't come from the heart. When there is true confession of sin and true repentance, lives are changed. And there is a sorrow before God that is just hard to carry. David said in his Psalm, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And when people are convicted of their sin, truly convicted of their sin, they see only one thing, they have failed God. But here for the nation of Israel, they were to be the people of God. They were the people of God, but they didn't believe God and it all comes crashing down on them. They are thrilled the Savior has come and put this madness on earth to an end. <clears throat> They believe that he is their savior, <clears throat> but they pour out their sorrow for him. And then notice what God does for them. Chapter 13, verse one, in that day, there will be a fountain, <clears throat> excuse me, open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Israel for sin and uncleanness. There will be a fountain opened. It means that God will just cleanse them and the guilt will be gone. The sorrow will be gone. Their lives will be free and open in fullness and love and devotion to God who sent his son to be their savior. And this group of people <clears throat> with the 144,000 who get through this, remember they're protected by God, they will be the nucleus for a new Israel that will lead the world in the true worship and honoring of God. <clears throat> and all of the promises that God made in the Old Testament of the place of Israel, that it would lead the world in worship, that's where it becomes, it starts to become true. I wanted you to see that because one of the things that I've tried to, uh, try to emphasize that in spite of the judgment that we see falling on the world, a, a judgment that's righteous. God does everything he can to care for people. He wants them to come to Christ for salvation. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that, through, that the world could be saved through his son, John chapter three. He's always felt that way. 
And in the book of Revelation, even as the judgment of God falls on people who hate God and loathe God, God is reaching out for people and caring for people who will come. And so as we go through this, I want to close uh, today by you know, asking you, you need to make sure that you know the Lord is your Savior. Religion by itself won't work. Won't work. We saw that with the temple. And there needs to be a time when you, from your heart, you know Jesus died for you. Uh, you know he came into this world to be your savior and you need to give yourself to him. You need to confess your sin. You're not worthy to stand before God on your own, but you will be forgiven. You will be cleansed just like these folks here. You will have life and freedom with God, not only now, but forever if you trust in Christ for salvation. And you really need to be sure you've done that. Let God care for you forever too. Next week is our last session together and we will look at this moment that will change everything. Jesus will come again someday and we'll look at that moment uh, from the scriptures uh, next week as we close our study on the book of Revelation. Thanks for being here.